Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Daniel Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. I am continuing the Central Division kind of capsule, so combination off-season review and season preview. This one is on the Central Division, is with the same guests that I've had for years on this division, and that is Nate Duncan of Dunked On and Dunked On Prime, and Dan Feldman of Dunked On, Dunked On Prime. Actually, he's doing some great work for us, and of course, the mock-off season and everything else, and all of his great work at NBC. Really good episode, runs over an hour, brought to you by Athletic Greens. You can go to athleticgreens.com slash realgm, check it out, and tell me it came from us, and betonline.ag. Use that CLNS50 promo code to get yourself a 50% welcome bonus. And here's the pod. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having us. Yeah, you're not going to ask how we are so we can respond simultaneously. I guess that's that's my thing. That, that's more that's more your thing. But uh, we're talking Central Division today, and we have, of course, five teams, and we'll go through we'll go through a lot of it, and you know we'll talk about who got better and who got worse in a bit. But I, I think some uh, some of these I've kind of focused the conversation more, and I want to start actually with Dan. There's a lot that Weaver Troy Weaver did with the Pistons, you know, beyond you know. Jaden Ivey with the pick that they already had, but also, you know, event move, moving around, getting Jalen Duran, and then taking on some, you know, soon to be expired, like some expiring salary. How do you kind of process everything that they did? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough question. I, I mean, I, I love Ivy for them. I think he's a great fit and, and excellent value at number five. Otherwise, it's tough to read. I mean, you lose enough. You get you get the right lottery picks. You, you can be on a good track. Getting Cade Cunningham has his team on a good track. If you can identify talent, that obviously goes a long way, too. Somebody like Sadiq Bey uh, looks like he's got the team helping to go in the right direction. But then look at some of the other moves, like signing Marvin Bagley for three years $37.5 million. I wonder about the direction. Uh, going after Alec Burks, Nerlens Noel. Like, I, I understand a lot of this was about the salary dump, but it also seems the Pistons valued those players. Where do the Pistons think they are? I, like, are they trying to be better sooner? Are they just trying to have some guys in place in case the young guys are better, right? You don't want to be stuck where the young guys are ready to go, but you don't have the right complementary veterans. Uh, if this team is ahead of schedule, maybe you look to flip those guys in the likely event the team is not ahead of schedule. Uh, I, I really do wonder where the Pistons think they are. That That's what I have a hard, hard time getting a read on. So I actually talked to James Edwards of The Athletic uh, about this on Dunked On last week because uh, he's pretty tied in with the organization. And, and he still 
seemed to think that they were mostly just in talent acquisition mode, which I, I agree what you just said, Dan, going through some of the moves that they made doesn't necessarily seem to indicate that. Like a, now you can say, hey, like they need a real team here. You can't have Killian Hayes and Hamadou Diallo and Corey Joseph like all playing together on the second unit because you just won't be able to shoot or score and, and they need to have enough of an ecosystem to allow Cade Cunningham, Sadiq Bey, Jaden Ivey, Jalen Duran, and Isaiah Stewart, who I think is kind of their five real core pieces uh, to evolve a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I, I understand that. But then you also had some of the other moves like signing Marvin Bagley and you know, Noel, I think like he could be a good rehab project. He might actually be the best center they have if he plays the way he played two years ago in New York. So I, I do kind of wonder, A, if that's really true, and B, you know, what the point is of signing someone like Bagley to the contract that they did if the idea is, well, we've got to have a team that fits together better where he's like kind of the ultimate fit out sort of player to quote LeBron James. So that's, I, I do, some of it's like, okay, they're still in talent acquisition mode. I understand that, but it's being done in a different way, I think, clearly than what you see with, say, Houston or Oklahoma City or, or even Orlando, potentially, where you're just like, okay, we still have all these guys. We're not sure how they all fit together. We're probably still rebuilding. Going out and affirmatively acquiring and re-signing veterans to long-term deals doesn't seem to fit with that approach. Well, and, well Bagley and, is still young. I, I mean, sure. you, you know, you mentioned Nerlin Zoel could be a rehab project. Like uh, Bagley, if you believe in him, uh, you know, he's still young, and you know, you could figure it out later. That that to me fits the talent acquisition mode. Like the one the one move, and this was not this offseason, that really stands out as where do they think they are? I guess there's a couple. Uh, it, it's uh, it's signing Kelly Olynyk. It's uh, getting Mason Plumley. Like those are the ones where I wonder. Like how, how can you claim your your talent acquisition when you're doing moves like that? Well, and, and to me, how everything kind of fits together, not fits together in terms of a cohesive strategy, but fits together in terms of being a little bit bewildered by it, is how the, is the Jeremy Grant uh, transaction. And so Jeremy Grant, it seems like part of the reason that the Pistons got a lighter return for Grant is because instead of having to take on bad salary or take on matching salary, they were able to trade him into the CJ McCollum trade exception. And so it appears, I mean, at least based on what we understand the valuation to be of Jeremy Grant, that they got less for him. And so you go, okay, you know, if you want to do that for whatever reason, you know, negative money, like, for example, the Spurs took on money in the DeMar DeRozan deal and, and numerous other ones. Go, okay, well, so you're you're sacrificing compensation for flexibility. What are you going to use that flexibility for? And Weaver, yes, they did, you know, they, they, they brought in Bagley, but really, like, the big thing that they did with their flexibility was taking on, in two separate transactions— Kemba, Alec Burks, and Nerlens Noel. And yeah, I mean, if, if you want to think of them as separate transactions, they got a lot for Kemba and, and they got very... And, and getting Jalen Duran out of the deal. Yes, too. exactly. Be, yeah, and... We got to mention that. For sure. And, and like that, and that's why if you think of them as separate deals, Kemba, Kemba and Duran for that cap space is, is a phenomenal one. And if you want it... But I mean, were they negotiated separately together? We'll, we'll probably never know, honestly. And so, but it's like, okay, so if you took on less to get... To get for a grant and then you, you to get flexibility and then you use that flexibility kind of in the overall way that they did part of the theory might have been you know talent acquisition nate brought up and i mean i agree with this that nerlens noel like two years ago he like he, he was a real difference maker defensively for the knicks and they you know good players are, are always valuable even if they overlap with 
the, some of the young guys that you're prioritizing. And there's a potential that the team options, which Leon Rose negotiated with all those Knicks guys, could be beneficial because it's like, if you if you can rehab their value, then you could theoretically sell into the team like, hey, you have New Orleans Dewell for, for this price for next year, and it's a team option. So if it doesn't work out, you just don't do it. And so there, there's a possibility there. But generally speaking, you know, if we're talking about that as an asset play or combination player plus asset play, the upside doesn't seem particularly high to me from that perspective. Well, to, I mean, to Nate said it, I mean, it's Jalen Durand. Like, to me, it's even if you look at all of at uh, Burks, Noel, and Kemba's all dead salary, and I think they're more valuable than that, maybe, arguably, that's worth it to get Jalen Durand. I mean, I, I'm not going into the draft wasn't the biggest uh, believer in Durand just because of position. Like, I liked how he played, but, you know, I'm not sure about drafting a potentially limited center that high. Um, but he's athletic. He, you know, he, he could be really good. Uh, he could be worth that, even if it's dead salary. Yeah, and, and I mean, there's an idea, even going back to another team in this division with the Sabonis for Tyrese Halliburton trade, that aiming for the best possible asset you can get is actually better than the accumulation just because you're more likely and, you know, you don't get lottery picks that often and they were able to do it at a relatively small kind of like flexibility asset cost. And and Duran, yeah, he could definitely work out and they believe in him and, you know, I, I think he, you know, the limited amount that we've seen so far, I've been positive, Nate and I didn't watch film on Duran. He's one of the guys that I kind of wanted to, but we ran out of time. And yeah, and, and I mean, in, if you think of it as two transactions, then the Burks Noel one looks weird, but if you kind of think of it as one, then I think kind of works out. But the, the part that's a little bit harder, just in terms of thinking of the Pistons as an overall team, is the kind of positional element. We've gotten into this with the coaching staff, Dwayne Casey, kind of talking about maybe Isaiah Livers is going to start, is that not only is it like who plays what position and how do you fit these guys together, but also like just having enough shooting on the floor. I mean, if you want, I, not that Kate Cunningham and Luka Doncic are identical players or that there's only one successful way to build a basketball team, but capable defenders and spacing is a pretty effective model. And hopefully Ivy can can do some of that stuff in time and Sadiq Bay can fit in with that. But, you know, they're, they've spent some real capital on players that don't necessarily fit that vision as well. And then they're short on forwards now. Well, if it's acqui- a- asset acquisition time, does it matter, right? I mean, th- this team could very much use another high lottery pick next year. I, I don't see that as a-, a problem. Yeah, Dwayne Casey might. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this this is where I wonder, like where the team sees themselves and there might not be a single answer, right? It might be Troy Weaver sees one thing, Tom Gore sees something else, Dwayne Casey sees something else. Uh, they might not necessarily be on the same page on their timeline, uh, although they might, uh, I don't know, Dwayne, everybody for the most part seems happy with Dwayne Casey. I, I don't, I haven't gotten the sense and this can change quickly. I haven't gotten the sense that he's uh, being graded on win loss results. Yeah. I and mean, the best I could tell, which again, I, I mean, maybe this needs to be delved into more deeply uh, by his own with more of a reporting bent but you know when i talked to james about this last week he got an extension that runs through 23 24 but if it's the usual structure of coaching contracts that last season is probably a team option and nobody ever wants to be going into the last season of your coaching contract regardless and he's also getting paid a lot of money he was brought in when they had a different group with blake griffin and were trying to win and and he got the extension but i'm guessing he didn't get much of a haircut in terms of his salary he was making like seven million before that so i do think there is some pressure on him now i'm not sure exactly what they're trying to accomplish like (laughs) what he would be graded on necessarily i mean you would think it would be development and maybe making you know being a little more competitive and not starting you know like two and 20 or whatever they started 
last year, and they I think they played 500 ball after the all-star break so they can at least like make a step forward towards being more competitive whatever that is i do think there is some pressure on him because now they can i mean he was almost making so much that for a team like this as long as he was doing a semi-competent job it didn't make sense to move on from him given how much guaranteed money he was making but once they can move on from him either with one year left on his contract or zero if that last year was a team option they might want to move towards more of a developmental coach a younger coach or a cheaper coach, uh, any of those. So I, I do think that's an interesting dynamic. And I think this whole livers thing is a very interesting one because I think Dwayne Casey has a pretty damn good idea that, yeah, starting Isaiah Stewart and Marvin Bagley together or closing games with those guys together, probably not your optimal look to win games. Yeah, and that tension, you know, that's a part of the coach owner general manager dynamic is just you know you're looking at different timelines you're focusing on different elements and we'll we'll see how they resolve it we can go to another team that has some of that present future tension that's the indiana pacers who traded away malcolm brogdon and they they got a first round pick from the celtics which i i think is pretty damn likely to convey and they did so but and so you're kind of like okay they're going that direction giving tyrese halliburton the keys and they drafted ben matherin who had a very nice summer league And then as of right now, as we're recording this podcast in late August, Miles Turner is both still on the team and has not signed an extension. And that can still go on. Like there's no no rule that you have to resolve these things before even the start of the season or even at any point. But I am, you know, like, and, and, you know, this is another team, we did kind of the parallels of the Pistons with a coach that hasn't exactly, you know, that has prioritized, you know, being competitive and that has that kind of history. And so how Herb Simon, how Pritchard, how Carlisle see this situation is going to be immensely important. Well, Miles Turner, well, he's only 26. Like, I, there's no way the Pacers are planning to be bad so long that Miles Turner exits yeah, his prime. But, but he's a pending, uh, but he's a pending unrestricted free agent. I think that's the reason. Sure. The, 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 the tension there is different. Where it's like it's not that you're, it's not that he's not on your timeline. It's that you might just straight up lose him. Yeah, I mean that theoretically they have a sense of what type of contract he's looking for to stay and their comfort of giving that to him and like you said there, there's plenty of time there um i do look at it differently though when it like you know you, you have miles turner already and you decide to go in a long-term direction and you gotta decide what to do and okay nothing has happened like i view that differently as then when when a team goes out and acquires somebody right you you go and uh you, you sign kelly olenek you, you get a uh, mason plumley um you it's a little different because of the sweeteners in it but you trade for nerland's noel alec burks i look at that differently as when you already have an incumbent player and you're just not sure what to do with them yeah i guess the other thing i would add to that that probably should be part of the calculation for the pacers is just how often turner has been injured 47 games and then 42 games hasn't finished either of the last two seasons healthy and so do you want to move on from him while he is still healthy because if he were to get injured again and then be an expiring contract you're going to get nothing for him Oh, but Nate, what would the Pacers know about an injured player on an expiring contract getting nothing for him? That's not something they've ever experienced. <laughs> and and with, the, with the Pacers, there's also the element of maybe they just don't know what kind of team this is going to be when they have everybody. Because, you know, they with Halliburton and they're getting McConnell back if they see him as important. But Duarte and Matherin and Miles Turner, and they still don't have forwards on this team. You know, another parallel to some extent. The Pistons obviously have much better forwards than the Pacers do. And my instinct 
instinct is that they're not going to be great, you know, and, and that's fine. I mean, I think that's kind of where the Pacers are in this whole process. But maybe Pritchard, maybe Simon want to give it a chance and say, hey, you know, if this team can compete for the, you know, the sixth seed or the seventh seed for the first month, month and a half of the season, then let's do that. And the other part of this, and it's always super hard in our position to contextualize, is what are they hearing from Miles Turner? Because, like, it could be a circumstance where the extension rules aren't really conducive, but he is interested in coming back. It could be a circumstance where he's genuinely unsure. And your, you know, risk mitigation is a term I often use in extension negotiations, both rookie scale and non-rookie scale. And there could be an element of that in play here, for sure, of just, like, maybe he's interested, but the, the terms aren't exactly right, or because he's coming off an injury, you kind of want to see where things are. And yeah, that might mean that you pay him more later, but you're okay with that if that's where things go. Is there is there any chance this Pacers team can be good? I mean, I shouldn't even, I shouldn't even say good, but like you know, competent, like not one of the worst teams in the league. Yes, I'm. Yes, I I think you know they're they're better than the like clearly tanking teams. I mean, I think they're going to be bad, but I, I do think there's a chance. Yes. Um, well, so Feldman, uh, I I kind of agree yeah. with you in conception, but also how many decent defenders does this team have? I mean, at, at that point, that's where you kind of hope that that Rick Carlisle, um, that that if you're trying to win, that that's his influence, right? That's why you you bring him in. Once upon a time, I mean, I, I know he became more known for his offenses in Dallas, uh, but his background is definitely as a defensive coach. He, I think he's a good defensive coach. Um, you know, I, I'm, again, I, I'm predicting them to be bad, but I I could see how they could be decent. I think this is going to be a very interesting test if Turner is on the team of just how good he is, because you imagine the defense will be built around him they don't have anything at the three defensively whatsoever and you know Halliburton is not amazing they got a rookie probably starting at the two and Benedict Matherin either Duarte or Buddy Heald seems likely to start at the three Jalen Smith is an experience at the four he's already been declared the starter by Rick Carlisle so you wonder how they're going to defend but they quietly actually had an above average offense after the Halliburton trade, but they were also just playing absolutely no defensive players, so it, it's a lot easier to have a decent offense when you do that. But at least, at least they're able to get above average uh, on one end of the floor. So I don't. I, I mean, I expect that it's going to be pretty ugly there, even if Halliburton and Matherin do show promise. And and I'll add, T.J. McConnell can wreak a lot of havoc against backup point guards. Like he's one of the best uh, defensive guards in the league. Not not that it's often a a guard is going to be the anchor of your defense, but if Miles Turner can can be that defensive anchor when the starters are out there uh you know mcconnell can can create some havoc with the reserves yeah. i've i've moved on to jose alvarado as my backcourt steals maven over over mcconnell out of sight out of mind for him <laughs> <laughs> one of the other offseason moves which i mean this is the minutiae that you the three of us all all truly love was the bucks not only using the taxpayer mid-level but using the taxpayer mid-level on an injured joe ingles i i think the place there there are a couple things i mean he's still injured you know recovering from a torn acl and we don't know the specific timeline there but it's also like the question for me we saw in the first part of last year before he got injured how much does a healthy joe ingles at this age move the needle for the bucks i like this sign more than than you two do and i i see the downside 
but I, I think the hope has to be, I mean, look, his defense has slipped so, so much lately, and that's the concern. But the hope is give him time to get healthy. The Bucks don't need him. Uh, they're not playing for much in the regular season. They'll just be fine. They can give him all the time. And then when he comes back, he can play in a theoretically limited minutes and then maybe he can get his defense up to an acceptable level uh when he's not burdened with too many minutes he's a good shooter he's a good passer he's a smart player uh he's got some length like i can see this working out i don't know who else the bucks could have gotten i don't know what the alternatives were i'm not sure this was the best use of their money but i can absolutely see this working out he is exactly what they need offensively in theory if he has something left even uh on that end just watching them brick three-pointers in that Celtic series and even in, in the championship season just bricking wide open threes over and over and over again has just got to be so frustrating to management and that's probably why they're like hey this guy you know he was down a little bit last year but he's been an unbelievable shooter uh, on open threes uh, the last four or well, five and, years before that and, and Nate, they, on, to- on, to- pass. on top of that yeah the passing thank you for going there it's like the the ball movement that he can that he can facilitate with this Bucks team there have been times there and I mean there's also this argument with Milwaukee you know they won a championship despite having some real offensive struggles and they were able to handle some limited defenders. And so that, that could make a world of difference there. And what struck me about this deal is not necessarily the fit of Joe Ingles with the Bucks. I mean, there's, there's a theory behind it and the idea that, oh, you can make this work. He's also been a part of successful defenses in the past, even if they were not successful because of him, which the Bucks would not be asking either. It's, the, you know, so Dan, you brought up, and I think this is a fair point of like, well, what else could they have done with the taxpayer level? Well, there's also the question of like, who else was giving him more than the minimum? And I'm not completely sure of that. And the but, but, and that's I would imagine there was somebody. I, you kind of think there had to have been. Um, and so for the for the Bucks, like that's the other, and it's it's a similar criticism to last year for me, which was they spent a lot of money. Like this is a more expensive team than I expected for the Bucks, and they won a championship in 2021, and they you know they have a mega star in Giannis but they th- for the second year in a row they threw a lot of money after players that I don't think are a part of their best fives or at least what should be their best fives and you need support players the last pieces are always more expensive than the than the first ones but given that money to Bobby Portis in particular when it seems like they understand his strengths and weaknesses or at least that they should is both not surprising, but also still like if like me, you want to see the Bucks as the best possible iteration of themselves on the court can be frustrating. I'm a little yeah, higher I, on Bobby I, yeah. Portis than you two. Go ahead, Nate. Yeah, no, no, that's a, I didn't have anything. Yeah, I, I, I mean, look, at, he, he has some limit. He has plenty of limitations. There are going to be matchups, uh, especially the ones you expect deep in the playoffs, where it seems like he's going to have problems. But I do think he holds his own okay in those, um, where you can find minutes. Uh, I, I agree with you, Danny, that he might not be part of your your closing five or your best closing five. Uh, but he plays hard. He competes. I, I think he finds enough away. I think he you can find enough minutes, enough matchups, even even against those better teams where he can be a helpful player. And again, it comes down to, well, what else are you going to do? You have somebody who who wants to be in Milwaukee, who I mean, he got a lot of money. The You know, he maybe he could have gotten more, especially last year. He, I'm sure he could have gotten more elsewhere. But this is somebody who who wants to be there, who's a good part of your chemistry, who plays hard like I think he finds enough ways to make it work where where I'm good with it. Um, but again, that's not knowing the alternatives. Maybe if the, if there was somebody out there who is a better fit in those closing lineups that you talk about, sure, uh, I, I would agree with you. I, without knowing that, 
I'm good with this. Yeah, if you're just looking at, uh, I mean, I, I don't think that's even that terrible of a contract for him if you're just considering the regular season and then the first round of the playoffs. And, you know, well, like, I, 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 I mean, wouldn't say that this is even like so like above market value necessarily, especially when you consider the uh, the very cheap year that they got the year before. Right. And uh, even even deeper in the playoffs, like I think he can be a positive player in some minutes in the right matchups and hold his own enough um, to where I'm okay with this, right? It's not ideal. I'd love somebody who who fits better in those deeper playoff matchups, but I, I think he can hold his own enough where, especially with all the advantages regular season, early in the playoffs, like I, I'm not complaining about this deal. What And also like with all the hand-wringing that at least two of the three people on this podcast have done about Bobby Portis <laughs> on the Bucks, they still won a championship in 21 and could very well have won it in 22 if they had been healthy. So like it, it's one of those things where if we're thinking pure optimism I mean, if you see it the way I see it, it's a problem. But and and again, we're focused on maximizing these teams and everything else like that. So it does matter, but it also I don't think it's like going to sink them or anything crazy like that. Right. I like the Pat Connaughton extension. I mean, that's somebody who actually might be in their their closing five, depending on matchups. It's funny. I feel like I've shifted from Pat Connaughton's vertical to Pat Connaughton's age in terms of the thing that you know, like, and, <laughs> and he's still he's still you know doing well, but Connaughton. And it's a kind of a weird thing with the Bucks overall. So this is this will be his age thirty season, and the Bucks are just in general they're just a little bit older. And I mean Giannis is not because Giannis is completely ridiculous. And so I, I do wonder, especially considering how little they've gotten, you know, with with late firsts and all that type of stuff in terms of guys who can help them. Also, Grayson Allen's going to be twenty seven this year, and so it's the idea of well, who who replaces or steps into larger roles when some of these guys start declining. And you hope that it's not going to happen. You hope that Brooke Lopez and Drew and Chris Middleton are going to be great forever. But as a practical consideration, that's generally not the, th- the way these things work. So that is a concern, but I don't think that's an immediate concern for me. That's more like the long-term viability of the Bucks rather than them being competitive this year, which I firmly believe they will be. I think that's such an under-discussed topic that Giannis is so much younger than the rest of the Bucks core. Like, what happens next? I mean, for now, there's no problem, right? Just be good. They're a really good team. They're a championship contender. The supporting cast hasn't aged out. Uh, but then what? Because uh, Giannis is still going to be great when, when the rest of these players are not. Yeah, And it's just so hard with guys in their early 30s who are good players uh, and or even guys uh, like Drew and Chris Middleton who are lower level all-star players to know when it is that they drop off and stop playing at an all-star level. And even then, even if it happens during the regular season, you're not even really going to know until the playoffs because of the way this team is built. They're probably not going to be trying that hard during the regular season. Middleton's coming off this wrist injury. Brooke Lopez, I'm sure they'll be extremely judicious with him as well as his age 34 season. But I do see how there is maybe more pressure in Milwaukee this season than there might appear at first blush uh, for this team, keeping it together, whether we may feature a retrenchment 
around Adenokounmpo, who, by the way, um, only have two guaranteed years on his deal after this year. Uh, they have won the championship. That takes some of the pressure off, in theory. <laughs> That's but an Middleton, ha- yeah, but yeah, yeah, for sure. But Middleton has a player option after this year. I mean, you could see him opting in potentially if he doesn't have a great season. Uh, Lopez is an expiring contract. You know, maybe you could see the Patrick Beverly type of extension for him for a year or two that still allows him to be tradable. Uh, and, and then even Drew would only have one year guaranteed on his contract left after this uh, as well. And so if they drop out in the second round again, and you know maybe they're a little bit less competitive or Middleton, Lopez, I mean, Lopez is just such an important player for them too. If they're not going to have like more of a stretch four to play next to Giannis who can defend. Uh, I mean, those three guys are, are just fascinating players. And you just, you never know when it's going to be that someone in their age range experiences a significant enough drop off to where maybe you just don't have a competitive cast around Giannis anymore. My strong advice to, for the Bucks would be ride this out. You have a team that at least looks like a championship contender. It is so hard to get there. Like, even if you have some lean years after, uh, they won't, I, you know, I think you just got to believe Giannis wants to stay. He's talked so much about staying in Milwaukee. He proved it by signing that contract extension. Uh, I, I, he'll be a free agent again one day, but, or at least headed toward free agency. But I think you just got to ride out, like, we're going to have Giannis and we have a chance to win a, a championship right now. And as long as those guys remain good, right? You're right, Nate. Like, it could happen at any point, but I would just ride this out. I would too. And as Nate was getting into the contract timing, like, the Bucks will have the benefit probably of significantly more information before the real tough decisions come. And in some ways, Middleton picking up his player option might simplify some of this because then you can, you kind of get two years, you see what can happen, you see what these guys look like, and then at that point, you get to evaluate it. Plenty more on the Central Division with Nate and Dan, but first, the message from Athletic Greens. They have a product that I use every day. I started taking AG1 because I was looking for a morning routine that got me nutrients, that kind of got me started, but also didn't put a lot of bad stuff in my body. And really, that's what AG1 is for me. It's a small micro habit with big benefits, something you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. I brought it with me on this European trip. You can get, they have a travel version of it, which is really, really great. And it also supports better sleep quality and recovery. That's something that I always deal with. And I have noticed an improvement generally with, with AG1. And so to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs, which I just brought up with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com slash real GM. I'll spell that out. A-T-H-L-E-T-I-C-G-R-E-E-N-S.com slash R-E-A-L-G-M. And so you can go to athleticgreens.com slash real GM to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. The two teams we haven't discussed yet didn't really do a ton in the 2022 offseason. That would be the Chicago Bulls and the Cleveland Cavaliers. And so the basic question, and I, I'll, I'll toss this to you, Nate. I mean, we've done this a little bit in offseason grades, and, and of course, Daniel answered as well. Is just, do you think the Cavs and Bulls got better, or do you think they got worse? Yeah, I think Cleveland, now when we say got better, it's just kind of like who's on the roster, uh, you know, uh, clearly as unhealthy as they were by the end of last year, you would have to say they, in theory, project to be better this year overall. And and as good as they were defensively, I mean, if they can play defense at a top five level, the 
the way they were for much of last year when they were healthy and they had Allen and Mobley together, like that's a pretty damn good foundation to be, you know, a solidly above 500 team and in the mix for that top six, which is where they looked like they were going to land most of last year. And, you know, I think they improved it back up point guard. That's something that they need. We'll see whether Ruby is able to play it, even how old Neto is better than what they had behind Garland last year. Presumably, Colin Sexton is going to be back on this team, and at a minimum, he provides quality depth for them, if not someone potentially dynamic. They, they're hoping to have a full season of Karis LeVert as well. Uh, Oche Abaji, I think, will at least be able to step into a rotation role at, at least a little bit. Uh, Robin Lopez, if they get injuries at center, should at least be able to be a more competent fill-in than Ed Davis. So I really, I, I don't know how you can argue that they didn't get better this offseason, even if they didn't maybe solve their biggest problem, which was a, a quality player at the three. Yeah, agree 100%. I think they got better. I think the Bulls got better, um, you know, with, with Goran Dragic coming in, you know, he's... He's one of the better players coming into this division, which I think is something we're we're going to talk about. I, I don't yeah. think there really Tristan, were like Tristan Thompson. Other, other than the Pistons, there really were like no major moves made uh, other than the draft in this division. Yes, this is. Uh, I, I think if people have listened enough, we can we can reveal that this is the uh, most boring, quietest division as far as offseason moves. Uh, but if you're listening this far, you're you're obviously interested in it anyway. There's still plenty <laughs> of interesting stuff. There, there is. Uh, but yeah, uh, uh, I think. Uh, yeah, you know, go ahead, Dan. No, you go. I was going to say, yeah, I think the Bulls got better. I mean, they kept Zach Levine. Um, you know, I'm <laughs> Drummond. Uh, Andre Drummond is. Uh, he is what he is. The, the the Bulls will probably be disappointed in him, but whatever. I mean, he, they got him pretty cheap. Um, uh, uh, yeah, Roger I mean, how is, disappointed uh, can you be? Uh, it, so, you just, so, so how many? So how many more? Just how many more punches does he need on his punch card to get the whole the whole Central Division? He still needs two, right? Well, uh, uh, so he's been to Cleveland, Detroit, now Chicago. So yeah, yeah. Milwaukee and uh, Indiana. Come on, next two years. <laughs> I mean, he he's already and he's option, and he's what and he's what and he's two fifths of the way to the Atlantic Division punch to the Atlantic Division free sub as well. Yeah, for someone who looked like the Pistons franchise player, well, it feels like not that long ago. He's played for a lot of teams since. Yeah, and, and for the Bulls, I mean, there's also the idea of, well, we when they were full strength, they were pretty competitive last year, and ensemble casts do have to worry about collective health in a way that star-driven teams, superstar-driven teams do not. But they, you know, they'll hopefully have a larger component of it. And if Patrick Williams can take a step forward, that would be very encouraging for them as well. And so with what the other thing we talked about, the Cavs, that I think is is notable with them. And yeah, they have some older players. It's just the passage of time could be very encouraging. I mean, I'm a huge Darius Garland fan. Evan Mobley had a wonderful overall rookie season and generally players that good, that young, continue to get better and they can get better in surprising ways, but they can they can do that. And Jared Allen had a really good year. And and so if they can get, you know, so if those guys take even a half step forward, but if they take a full, any of those guys take a full step forward, then the Cavs start to be in a different part of this conversation now and moving forward. And then, you know, hopefully a young guy, you know, an Isaac Okoro or Akbaji can be a little better than we think, or maybe even Larry Markkinen can, you know, if they can show a little bit more just to bridge some of the gaps this team has. But like, as Nate said, the building blocks here defensively are so good that like, to be a competitive team, really what they needed to do is in some ways just take out some of that downside risk of everybody being hurt at the same time. And I think, you know, Robin Lopez, Rubio at some point during the year, Hull Neto under underappreciated addition, those don't solve the big problems, but they solve the small problems that sank them. 
I think uh, something that's not understood enough is how important size is defensively. Uh, there are downsides with playing two bigs, and you'll run into matchups where one would be too slow, maybe. I mean, it depends, obviously, who the bigs are. But teams that play two bigs are often uh, punching above their weight defensively. And so, yeah, if you can play Jared Allen and Evan Mobley together and the Cavs showed they can, that's going to go a long way defensively. I think a lot of that falls on Darius Garland to make it work offensively. He's going to have a lot of the burden, but I think it'll be less next year. Uh, those uh, Eventually, especially uh, when, when Rubio gets healthy. Those Garland-Rubio lineups look so good already. Um, and I really think Evan Mobley can become a far more effective offensive player than he was uh, i think he's got a lot of tools and maybe next year will be the year he put him we'll put him together maybe not uh, but long term I, I do think he he can do even more as a ball handler as a, a shooter as a passer uh, i think he's pretty skilled offensively too chicago and cleveland to me are are two of the more interesting teams in the league i was interested to know who you think it is going to be better this year because there are just so many variables and you mentioned a few of them dan like the improvement from some of these young calves i mean they really have three almost close to all-star level of players or could be all-star level players all of whom are still on the better side of the aging curve uh, and then you know by contrast chicago they they don't have that many guys that you think are necessarily likely to be better next year maybe zach levine and patrick williams who you know will actually be playing but you know is that even is he really even going to give you more than the guys they had last year like that's that's an interesting question and then you know if you just look at the fundamentals chicago won 5.6 more games than expected a, a year ago they are 46 and 36 they actually had a negative point differential at one point i think they were 39 and 21 uh and uh they did not close the season well but still managed to get that uh into the top six cleveland didn't uh but cleveland when they were healthy had an unbelievable point differential and some of the projections says like basketball reference had them like finishing number one in the east at one point and i think it's been lost to time how incredibly injured they were down the end of the season i think more people more think about chicago in that realm you know to not have allen and and to really have nothing at backup guard so dan you hit on this too just i think both of those teams have at least shored up most of their weaknesses both of those teams also really have like nobody at the three as well like they're, they're very they have some a lot of similarities but also like they uh operate in different ways but they and they seem kind of in the same realm in the east like which of those teams do you like better for this year wait quick question Nate. when you say that the uh bulls have nobody at the three are we counting a uh, demar Derozan as a two or a four uh well <laughs> i don't know what we're calling him on defense but that's kind of more, more <laughs> yeah well so nate, so, so nate on what you were saying before um the Cavs last year, and remember, this is a very young team. When they had Garland and Mobley on the four together, plus five clean the glass net rating. When they had Garland, Mobley, and Allen together, plus 7.1. And like, I mean, they were just, and that's with a flawed surrounding cast. You know, that's, you know, those, they were playing Dean Wade at the three some of those times. They were playing Okoro and Lavert together. They were playing Rubio and Garland together because they just didn't have enough good guys. Sexton could make a huge difference there. I think knowing what we know right now, I would take the, I would, and we'll get into this a little bit in the season preview part of it, but I would take the Cavs over the Bulls for this year. And of course, moving forward, because their guys are still younger. And it's not an easy decision. Like, I think there's an, a, a, you know, the, we're talking more in the like 55 45 range, probably, if I'm, if I'm going there. But 
I I think the Cavs like the idea that you can as as Dan put it that you can see them defending well in the regular season that yeah two bigs can be shaky sometimes in the playoffs but teams are coming in on a one off and they're just like well crap we're not going to get anything around the basket against these dudes both starters or backups because remember they also added Robin Lopez to this mix like teams are not going to get baskets around in the restricted area against this team like that can make a huge difference for them and kind of give them a foundation so the offense will come and go at times and you know it was it, it was wasn't perfect last year I mean I brought up how they had this plus seven net rating last year with those three guys on the floor they had a below average offense when they were on the floor as well and some of that is you know the surrounding talent and everything else but I trust I trust those elements for the Cavs more than I trust them for the Bulls even if the Bulls were dramatically better than I anticipated last year the health of Lonzo to me is the biggest question I think Chicago he's just such a key player for them uh, with his ability to shoot and also defend because of Unlike a lot of teams, Chicago's, if they're going to be remotely competent on defense, it, it starts and ends with their guards when you've got Vucevic, DeRozan, and Levine as your three pillars. And and Chicago defended much more competently through a fair amount of the year last year than I thought because of how good Lonzo and Caruso were able to be. And then, you know, they usually had a, another kind of defender type who was a, a relative non-scorer playing at the four. But if there's no Lonzo, either they're not going to have enough spacing to really be good on offense, particularly if DeRozan falls back to earth even a little bit, uh, or they just won't be good enough defensively You know, if they're playing Dragic in place of Lonzo. So I think these teams are pretty close to each other. If Lonzo, we can get 65 games out of him, but the reports have not been particularly encouraging. You'd think if he were going to be ready for training camp, that's something they would have said. And I mean, every report has been, since he had that surgery initially, has been everything has been really slow with progress, a lot of setbacks, lots of starts and stops in his rehab. Yeah, I, I do think uh, these teams are in the same tier, and I agree that uh, Lonzo Ball's health is the biggest variable between them, uh, which is why I would uh, predict the Cavs will be better. But they're in the same tier. I wouldn't uh, be surprised either way. So, Dan, we can start with you. You teased this before. Who's the best newcomer in this division? We'll go with Alec Burks, uh, you know, solid player. <laughs> I, but I will say that if he's healthy, it could be Nerlens Noel. Uh, I've, I've been high on Noel uh, since before he came in the league. I think he's very effective. It has learned to accept his role, just be a real active defender, rebounder, finisher. Um, if he's healthy, it could be him. But I think Alec Burks is the safer choice. Yeah, slim pickings there, huh? I mean, who else is even on the list of newcomers? Are, are we counting well, rookies? You, you're, you, can, you, can sure. count, you can count well, a rookie, rookie but... do you think is going to be better than Alec Burks? Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, really better... You know, are Benedict Matherin or Jaden Ivey likely to actually contribute more to winning basketball games than Alec Burks? Uh, you know, but Burks fell off a little bit last year with his two-point shooting, uh, and you know the the health is a concern. Yeah, I mean, Noel, if he could get back to where he was two years ago, it could be that. But you know, I, I think Burks probably isn't going to play as many minutes. You would think, and Noel won't either. So maybe you throw that in. Uh, you know, Ingles, Rubio, those yeah. guys aren't going to play uh, until January. So it's hard to put them in there. I mean, Dragic, uh, yeah, I thought about him, two, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's probably got to be Alec Burks. I, I think you're right. Burks or or Noel. I agree with Dan. If he's healthy, I think he can be he can be better. But we have to actually see it. And and Noel, I don't think he's going to necessarily get the opportunity because they're players with more equity and there's just less positional versatility at that part of the paradigm. And so, like, yeah, I think I think that's re- go ahead. A fun division where uh, our top two candidates for best player joined what 
well, we'll go. I'm sure we'll end this with our prediction for for rankings. Uh, but to spoil it, what I think is the worst team next year in the division. It happens. Well, at least it does here. Um, <laughs> got more to talk about with Nate Duncan and Dan Feldman. But first, a message from BetOnline.ag. Football is back, and BetOnline is your number one source for all your football betting needs and sports information this season. Find all the latest football odds, news, and game matchups, including this year's opening week's games. BetOnline is your continued source for all your wagering information, including live betting, free contests, and live scores. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and events, including MLB, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. So head to BetOnline.ag to join and receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit using the code CLNS50. And again, Use that promo code CLNS50 to receive your rewards at Bet Online, where the game starts. We can again, we can start with Dan since Nate and I have already talked about this with our Summer League stuff. I, I'm not saying who you think is going to be the best rookie either now or long term, but we can go through, and it doesn't just have to be one, like some of the rookies in this division that you're most excited to see. Well, it's Jaden Ivey, number one. Uh, I think he's an electric, fun player, just amazing burst to the basket. Like He's a blast, and I think he's an awesome fit with Cade Cunningham, uh, where Cunningham's a little more methodical. I think Ivey is going to uh, add a little bit more chaos in a good way once things get going. Um, so I, I think the combination of style of play, of of talent of fit uh to me it's ivy number one by a, a good amount why do you why are you more interested in him than matherin uh because you know i, I, I struggle yeah with that. yeah i like matherin i i mean some of this is just style of play i think is a lot yeah. of it and and not that matherin's uh not athletic himself but the the way ivy plays uh, i i think it's just so tantalizing so eye-catching um, you know, and I think Ivy is a better prospect. Um, you know, I, I think Matherin, and this overlaps a little bit with style of play, but Matherin, I think, is going to be more of a complementary player. I like how he projects it as someone who who can, you know, he, he's not going to be the guy you're running your offense through where, where uh, you know, maybe Ivy can be. And obviously there's more value if you can do that in the long run. Yeah, I I actually had Matherin above Ivy on my board. I like the way that he, he fits in as a two guard. I had some concerns a little bit about Ivy positionally and, and maybe his shooting. Um, we didn't get to see quite as much of him in, in summer league as Matherin. Matherin had an unbelievable summer league, probably the best summer league of any rookie statistically. So, I'm, I mean, I think Matherin's going to be really good. I I guess I probably would go with Ivy, though, because just from an intellectual perspective, for me, I think he's just more boomer bust, more interesting. I think Matherin, at a minimum, is going to be a solid shooter and athlete on the wing for the Pacers. I mean, I don't know whether he's going to be an all-star or not, but yeah, I mean, I think Ivy is a guy where when he's out there, your eyes are going to be on him for good or for real. So I think I ultimately would go with Ivy just from a curiosity factor. I think not that I, you never ever know with any rookie, but I think I've just a little bit better of a handle of where the bounds are for Matherin and what his game is going to be like at the NBA level. Just a mm-hmm. question of how effective it'll be. Whereas Ivy, I mean, I I don't really know what he's going to be defensively. He's got a lot of potential, but hasn't produced as much there as a shooter. Is he going to be able to make shots with kind of that, that weird form? How much is he going to juice the transition? Will he finish? How much is he going to turn it over? I, I just have a, a million questions about him. And then also, I think the one thing that would give me pause is I think the pace are going to be a much more fun 
offensive team than the Pistons. Like, I think Ivy is going to be driving into a crowd in the paint a lot, and that maybe will be the one thing that might kind of turn me off about the watching he and Cade just, like, bang their head against the wall over and over again on, on this Pistons team with limited spacing. If we had talked about this before Summer League, I, I would have had Ivy more definitively, but Matherin really impressed me in Summer League. I thought he had it. He did a really great job. Him and Keegan Murray both, you know, kind of not only validating the parts of their games that I really liked, but also showing more than I expected is, is always a real positive, especially because we had just watched films. So you get into that. But Nate, you hit on something at the end there that I think is is why I'm going to go with Ivy over Matherin. And it's because I want to see how not only Ivy, but Ivy and Jalen Duran key a hopefully renewed Detroit Pistons transition frequency and identity like it's not as extreme you know Cade the 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 Pistons ran more with Cade on the floor last year than the Mavericks did with Rubio I believe I the Cunningham you know they were in transition they were 63rd percentile in terms of proportion in half court and I believe Luka teams have always been low there and Cade and Luka aren't the same player but you can push that way higher with Ivy and with Duran and there's also the added benefit that they're like many teams, but especially young teams with limited shooting, their half court offense is going to be so much worse than their transition offense. So the more it's it's like we saw this with the Raptors last year. Frequency matters a ton in terms of not only like how successful your offense is, but also how watchable the product is. And so if they can do that more often, it's going to lead to success. It's going to lead to the Pistons being more fun to watch as well. Uh, are there any other? I mean, so I guess somebody else that I want to discuss briefly um, is Akbaji, who I don't know exactly what role he's going to play with the 22-23 Cavs. You know, I, I think it's one of those things where if he does really well, then they have minutes that they can play him. But uh, there's also a possibility that he's just completely marginalized. But why I wanted to mention Akbaji, A, you know, lottery pick in this division. And B, because if it works, then it gives the Cavs something that they have been really been looking for over the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, if there's a rookie who should come in ready to play, it, it, it's him. You know, as a senior coming out of Kansas, I think his game is very limited but polished at what he does. A, a good three point shooter. He's a smart cutter. Uses that well. Uh, you know, with with his three point shooting, um, you know, he can come up the move but you know he's not going to create anything at all he didn't even create anything in college like on his own uh, you know he's not a disruptor defensively he, at best he's going to stay in in front of his man um you know it's a very classic uh low upside pick so you want to see the the returns early for sure yeah i think Abaji is someone that I think could step in and just kind of be a normal, even NBA shooting guard. They haven't really had that either. Just someone who can defend his position and maybe come off a screen and, and hit a shot. It give them that movement shooting element potentially, at least in time. Um, but you know, you wonder, I mean, they still have Sexton and Lavert and Rubio who are all in theory ahead of him. And so, all right, are you just going to play him at the three? Yeah. Maybe you could do that in a fair number of matchups. Like I could see him being a better fit a lot of the time. Than Lowry Markinen potentially, uh, if the the other team is also playing small. I mean, there aren't that many threes in this league that you have to deal with. And hey, if he can just get into some guy, make him drive, and then you got the help uh, of Allen and Mobley there, he, he might be a better fit at the three, even though he doesn't have ideal size for the position. It might be more ideal than Markinen's size, uh, which is oversized there. And Duran is another guy. I mean, I'm actually pretty fascinated to see because he just has so many physical tools. And Dan, you mentioned. 
right, you know, taking a center in the lottery, uh, you know, who's not a guy who, at least to me, projects to be at that, you know, really high level offensively. But can he be just like a really good two way center? You know, can he be like kind of a Jared Allen type of guy? Clint Capella could be maybe even be better than that uh, with his physical tools, you know, really quick feet as well. Uh, are they going to play him and try to have him switch in the second half of the season and play he and Stewart together? Like, I am very interested to see how that works. And yeah, he's he's also so young too. But even in this first season, I think of particularly with bigs, you can usually get a decent sense with them and the physical tools are so tantalizing with them. Yeah, Kevin Pelton's done a lot of research on uh, that that bigs peak earlier. Um, I've seen people put, like, I, I don't know the last time Kevin looked into this, I've seen people push back uh, that that it's more complicated for bigs now. That that what you have to do defending the pick and roll and, and play that in-between game, like it's tougher, there's more to learn and it takes more time. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the research would say. Uh, but I am with you on that. I am curious about about Duran and think the way he plays, he is going to show you some things early for better or worse. Well, and it ties in with something that Nate and I have observed, you know, in the years that we've done dunked on, which is generally bigs that have that end up being very successful defensively. Even if they reach orders of magnitude higher later in their career, you generally see those signs relatively early on you know like if, if a guy doesn't really know his doesn't really know his position from a hole in the ground it generally you like they, they can move they can move up steps but they're not going to like become elite 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 there and you know sometimes when you see those early signs it's like oh this guy has a little bit more and then they piece it together and and th- that's not a guarantee but I think that with Duran, it'll be we'll get an idea of the basic range of his impact defensively. It's not going to be an exact range, but a basic range, and that will be very important not only for us evaluating, even more important for the Pistons when they're figuring out how in the world this front court is supposed to work for the next couple of years. Yeah, DeAndre Ayton on that is kind of the exception that proves the rule, right, of where he really showed almost no flashes defensively as a rookie and has gotten to be competent there, whereas most guys just, you know, you don't see it from them. But, yeah, I, I think we'll I'm, – I'm, I'm very curious to see Dern. Yeah, go ahead, Dan. Sorry. I, I'm just trying – yeah, I was trying to think through this. I, I remember seeing flashes uh, – I mean, coming out of Arizona, I, I was not super impressed with Ayton's defense. Was it the second year he started to show flashes? I was thinking that was his rookie year. The, the first thing I remember seeing yeah. him defensively was when they'd, like, match him up with forwards, and he did a really good – like, it wasn't what his main role is going to be and what he's developed into okay of, like, anchoring in the paint. But you're like, oh, this guy can, like, chase around – some forwards that was interesting defensively i was thinking that was his rookie year maybe it was his second year uh, to me the one that stands out where i'm like oh, this guy's not a defender now is or at least became a really good defender is uh brooke lopez yeah i mean well that was so late uh, with right. yeah i mean that's that's for him that, to that happened at, you know when he was like 30 right uh c- coming to milwaukee i mean that's that's a, a very underrated <laughs> success story for mike budenholzer to make brooke lopez into this awesome defensive center at two-thirds of the way through his career and, and while it was not required, I appreciate that this was the brother of a central division center and an almost central division center, considering Aiton signed an offer sheet with the Pacers and was broadly linked to the Pistons earlier in the offseason. <laughs> but yeah, that that works out works out well. Let's let's get into the kind of the season preview portion of this. And um, obviously, Nate, you're doing a lot of this with the uh, the team preview sections with with Dunked On and Dunked On Prime. 
right now, how would you rank these teams one to five? You can use regular season record as a criteria, but honestly, if you want to use something else, just tell the listeners what you want to use. Yeah, well, I, I think in regular season to me is going to be relevant for or the only thing relevant probably for four of these five teams and it, milwaukee is a, of course a championship contender they're number one and then i would say i've got cleveland and chicago in a tier and then indiana and detroit in a tier as we talked about earlier i think cleveland they've got that defensive backbone to fall back on that i think gives them a pretty high floor this season and they also have enough young guys that they can really improve probably fewer health questions than chicago does does uh so i would pick cleveland above chicago i mean cleveland ultimately even they both had injuries but cleveland was fundamentally the better team than chicago a a year ago and and i think there are more reasons to believe that cleveland will be better this year and chicago might experience a a slight regression uh you guys uh, i think we're we're in agreement on that one uh, that top three yep yes we are and and honestly, so, the more we yeah. talk about it, the, the almost more I think, well, shoot, maybe I could just, you know, put the Cavs in a semi-tier ahead of the Bulls. Yeah, I, I, if we found out that Lonzo is like ready to start camp, I, I would put them in the same. I, I think that, yeah. yeah, like Chicago being a half a tier below Cleveland with Lonzo's status up in the air, I, I think would actually be reasonable. Dan, how do you feel about Indiana versus Detroit? Yeah, again, I agree with Nate. I, you know, I have them in the same tier, and for the reasons we talked about, it, I would have the Pacers ahead of the Pistons. I just think uh, it's it's a little bit easier for them to. I think they're a little farther ahead of a little more uh, veteran presence fit together on, on the roster if they want to be good. Uh, the Pistons, I you know, I think are going to be leaning more into their youth, and I'd, I'd have them below. But in the same tier, I wouldn't be surprised either way with how that turns out. And part of the reason well, for so, so let's yeah go ahead yeah, sorry, Nate. no no Nate, you can do you can I, go I was gonna say we could let's, let's play a little game comparing these two teams which team has the best offensive player Pacers or Pistons probably Pacers I think it's Halliburton yeah but I'd love for I mean, I'd love for Cade to prove yeah. me wrong and it if, could be Cade but I, I guess I guess I would take Halliburton at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think we, and the Pacers obviously have better shooting as well. Um, You know, I mean, I think you could even argue at this point, like the Pistons have a lot of talented guys, but you could argue that at least as of right now, the Pacers probably have the two best players of those two teams uh, with Turner and Halberton. I would, I would agree. I, I I, although, I mean, I think with the the step forward that I expect Cade to take this year, I could see him being better than either of those guys. In fact, I might even predict that that would be the case. But it, it seems pretty clear to me that the Pacers will have a better offense than the Pistons. But I think the Pistons' defense quietly was in the teens last year. It was just because their offense was absolutely atrocious that they were so bad most of the year. And I think if you look, you go down this Pistons roster, I don't know if you guys agree with me, but there really are only a couple of guys, maybe two or three in their rotation that I would project to be defensive liabilities. Like Ivy is a rookie, although he's got physical potential. And then Bagley and Olenek, I think everybody else in their rotation is at least average to like pretty good defensively. Yes, I wonder what they run into um, with their bigs, though, where I say like, oh, playing big is often good defensively in the regular season. So we like Isaiah Stewart, like he's a center. He's not like the tallest guy. Um, And so if you're playing, I think he's good. I think he's a good defensive center person. Well, but I'm saying, what if he's your power forward? (laughs) Like, what if you're trying to play him in the well? Like, what what is their combination going to be? Right. Like, I yeah, I love his hustle. I, I think he makes the most of it. Um, and 
I, I would agree on center, but what if he's your power forward? I think he's got pretty quick feet. I mean, you, you were For in the center. building more often than me, but like he was, you know, and, and James was talking about this last week uh, about him having pretty quick feet uh, as a switch guy. Like, I don't think there are that many power forwards where you're like, you know, he's not going to be able to guard him. It is different guarding a guy like that where you have to close out more and your, your off-ball responsibilities are different. But in terms of just staying in front of a lot of fours, I think he actually could be okay there or guarding even the other team's three if that guy's less of a threat. You know, if you're playing if you're playing the Nets, he could guard Ben Simmons while City guards Kevin Durant or something like that. Uh, so I, I think... Uh, yeah, but the, yeah, I, I, I think, think Noel and, and... Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, the difference is, like, can he hold his own as a defensive for yeah i can for sure uh but are you gonna get those advantages of being this really big team with him guarding I, the four? I, I'm i not think so sure. i think so i mean he still is a good rim protector and, and they should be able uh, to rebound pretty well yeah. the rebounding right, yes the right. rebounding is where you will yeah to me, it's the, it's yeah, so the like, size, it's the rim deterrence where I'm not so sure. So, so I guess like, kind of my question, like, I think especially if Turner gets traded, I think like Pacers defense versus Pistons offense is like kind of a wash. Uh, I think they're both going to be terrible. Uh, <laughs> I would say Pacers defense maybe with Turner has a slightly higher ceiling than the, the Pistons offense does. And then, but it, so then I think the Pistons defense, I might like that better in the end than the Pacers offense. Like the Pacers offense has, will have pretty decent shooting probably, although they're Four position is kind of a wreck. And if they move on from Turner, they're going to be playing two non-shooters most of the time. Um, and I think, you know, who are you, who are you I, I'm not going to predict the Pacers. Who are you counting as their non-shooters? Uh, Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith. I mean, I think Jalen Smith models as a shooter. I mean, we'll see what he, you know, is. But I, I think the idea is he's going to be a shooter. Yeah, he, that's an interesting idea. Yeah, He, 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 he was drafted, yeah, think, he was drafted he that way. But, that yet. Yeah, I mean... I, yeah. So far, the, so far in his NBA career, Jalen Smith thirty two percent on one hundred and forty threes. Um, but that's a real if, small sample, obviously. If he's not shooting, then I don't think he's playing. Like that—that's to me where it comes down to. Like that—that's his game. I think if he's going to be uh, shoot, the, shooting the or making. <laughs> well, there's you know, as you know, there's value in shooting. <laughs> yeah, we, I, we, we, a, Kai, we, we we saw Kai Jones in summer league. There's not always value in just shooting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He made well, thirty. Well, so, I mean, yeah. small sample. He made thirty-seven percent with the Pacers, eighty-three attempts. Yeah. yeah. So I I have Indiana projected for twenty-nine wins and Detroit for twenty-eight. Mm-hmm. But I think if Miles Turner gets traded sooner rather than later, I probably would project Detroit to be ahead of Indiana. Well, but, and, and but here's it, it here's really the other part of it. Uh, it. Okay. And Dan, you you think about ownership a lot in this. Which team, just kind of with the people who are have the levers of power, which team do you think is more likely to push the accelerator or push the brake? Assuming assuming the the circumstances are equal, like do you think that Simon or Gores is more likely to be like if like we should try we should try now versus like. Tank, like who pulls the tank? Who pulls the tank earlier? I mean, the the Pistons I think have more appetite right now for losing. I think they're more open to it. Um, well, I don't know because I I do think the Pacers kind of crossed the threshold where where it really appears they're okay with it this year. Um, I I think to me it is if either team looks decent, I think the Pacers are going to ride that out more likely than the Pistons. Um, I'm not counting on either team to look decent, but it's possible. 
the idea that it and, and because this is just so true that it, it it goes this way is it's you know like who who is more likely to be better over 40 games is actually probably the better question than which owner is more willing to do it because you're the impetus you know the inspiration is going to be extremely important and that could go either way we talked about these teams being very kind of similar from a talent perspective and all, uh, part of this might get answered over the next few weeks if the if a trade ends up happening but like i I don't know. I have this weird idea that like the Pacers could be hanging in there a little bit. And then the I mean the other thing that could just swing this is if and we'll talk about breakout players soon enough, but like if Cade takes a huge step forward in his second year, it's possible that the Pistons just can't be horrible. And I haven't fully, you know, Nate, I think Nate's blocked out more of the Eastern Conference right now than I have in terms of whether being not horrible is enough to get you like where you believe you're in the mix for the 10 seed because usually that would be the case. There's not the margins are pretty narrow. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. I, I yeah, good. Go Sorry, Dan. I don't know. I didn't. No, this is my turn not to have anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So I, I guess I, I mean I think I guess I could see the Pistons pushing a little bit harder, uh, just because they've haven't won a playoff game in so long, and the Pacers kind of started their rebuild a little bit earlier. I, I mean, I think between but but it, it's hard for me to see like the Pacers. Pistons and Magic, that's like your three worst teams in the East, like pretty clearly to me, right? And, and I think it, and that could go really in any direction between those. Pacers probably to me are the best of those. I don't think any of these teams are going to be like so horrible the way it's, it's been the case in the past. Um, and then, but then you've got like the Wizards, Knicks, Hornets, uh, and I mean, everyone else projects to be like pretty competent in the East. Like there, there always are going to be changes there. There could be unexpected trades that happened to the Pacers just last year. But I, I don't think that, and maybe like, I think the Pistons have a relatively early, easy schedule early on. So maybe that could cause them to be in it early on more than would be expected. But I, I don't see any of them being really in range at the trade deadline. You, I mean, you just named six teams. So one of those teams is going to make the postseason. Oh yeah. But I'm saying like, Right, it probably Charlotte, will not be New the York Pistons, Wizards. Yes. I think, are definitely I think a those clear three. Yes, right, exactly. That, that's what I'm saying. I mean, that's and, and we saw it a year ago. Like the, there was a ten win difference between the Wiz and the Pacers. Yeah, and, and I don't think that much has happened to change that. If anything, I think the Wizards are more likely to be a lot better um, than some of these these teams, the Pacers and Pistons are. Agreed. And say, same with the Knicks too. They might have Donovan Mitchell. I mean, this is and, and who knows what's going on in Charlotte, but they're clearly more talented, even without Bridges. I would say than any of these teams. I would agree. Um, while we're talking about kind of talented teams in this range, Dan, how many Central Division teams make the final eight, meaning the best of seven playoffs? So doesn't matter whether they make it in through the top six or they make it in just how many teams are in that final eight i guess i'll say two i think the bucks are safely in i think the pistons and pacers are highly likely out and then uh, i'll say one spot between the Cavs and bulls yep same thing here i it's and you never know the nets could implode there could be injuries with the hawks but i i think and you don't know what's gonna happen with the knicks or wizards i don't know and i'd love to know what's gonna happen with lonzo's health but i think we got a price in you know him probably missing half the season would be our default yeah i, I would predict the bulls to not make the playoffs if i had to do it right now okay i would go two uh, two leading three rather than two leading one that was gonna be my next question is three more likely than one yeah 
I think so too. Um, but I mean, you have some, I mean, the one concern for me is like the kind of the, the locks tier doesn't have a lot of central teams and the like, you can talk yourself into it has central division teams where it's like, uh, so it's like, who's going to step into it. But, and also because I don't expect the Pacers and Pistons to jump in, but like, so if one of these teams takes a step back, but one, I mean, one would be pretty few, especially with how much I believe in the Cavs. Like, I think there's a pretty good, a pretty respectable chance that the Cavs get a top six seed. Yeah. Okay, final question for everybody. Um, we could start with Dan. I like to use breakout players in this context. You guys have both done this for years. In terms of players that we will be talking about differently a year from now than we are today, so it's not just guys becoming stars, because that doesn't happen too often. You can make an argument it did with Darius Garland and a few others last year. But who do you think qualifies at any level of success within these five teams? Well, the way you worded that maybe ruined my pick. Uh, my pick was going to be Evan Mobley. No, that's uh, totally fair. Well, here's here's the catch, though. I think people are maybe overrating him a little bit. I think sometimes this happens with young players where people get ahead of themselves. They talk about what he can be and sometimes conflate that with what he is. And so I, I see all these tools, and I, I don't necessarily have reason necessarily to believe it will happen next year, but I think I'll pick him uh, because I think he can get there over the next few years, uh, put that all together. He's so far ahead of the game for a rookie defender. I'm not sure how much better he's going to get there. Uh, it was amazing. Like, the last year, I have two, uh, some of the best rookie defenders i've ever seen in the nba with mobley and herbert jones um but we we already talked about mobley tools i'm not sure people talk about him differently though because i think maybe people overrate how good he already was just a little bit i think he'll just yeah 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 i think there's three players in that i thought of for this question tyrese halliburton katie cunningham and evan mobley and i think i probably will go with Cade. i think that Cade did not really deserve to be fully in the rookie of the year conversation you know i think he was probably deserved to be behind uh barnes wagner and of course mobley who was my pick just because he had such a rough start to the year and and wasn't very efficient but i'm not sure whether it's going to be this year or next year but i think by his third season Kate cunningham will be playing at an all-star level i don't think he'll make the all-star team just because the pistons are gonna be bad again this year and maybe they take a step forward with their cap space next summer but i i think he's gonna be just statistically he's gonna get to the point where he's at least close to average efficiency and i think you're really gonna see it in terms of the on-off numbers with the pistons where you know they're gonna be like five points per 100 percent better if not more on offense with him on the floor so he probably would be my pick uh, but also, you know, the Pacers are just going to give Kyrie Halbert in the ball as their main point guard and wind him up and let him go. And his numbers were extremely impressive individually when he got to Indiana. So that's that's the other one. I think, I mean, I agree with you on Mobley. Like, I don't think he's well positioned with the way this team is built to take more than a subtle step forward on the offensive end. And I think defensively, he was already so good. It's, you know, I think he can get a little bit stronger, maybe a little bit better of a finish sure a little bit better of a three-point shooter like i don't think they're gonna be running post-ups through him or anything or running the whole offense through him at the elbow necessarily but ultimately i think i would go with Cade, just especially because his numbers were so inefficient last year and didn't really square with what i was seeing by the end of the year i think that that's his numbers are going to catch up to uh his skill level this season well that that's another one where it's the same problem as mine if it's just based on how people are going to look at him i think uh Cade is also overrated in just in terms of how good of a season 
season he had. I think people are like, wow, look how well he's playing by the end of the year, and this is what he did all year. Um, and so I, I guess it just kind of depends how you look at it. On the idea of perspective, I think there's a pretty good chance if he's healthy that Evan Mobley is going to be first team all defense this year. But I also don't know if that's surprising expectations. Like that's just where where things have been so far for him. Wow. That I mean, I, I mean, first team all. No, he can't be first team as a, as, I mean, as, I guess, as a forward. 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 Yeah, I was just thinking at center. Yeah. Forward. Yeah. Huh. That'd be interesting. Yeah, okay. That's not yeah. insane. I, I, I had the same reaction. Like, at center, no way. But uh, forward, he'll, he'll be, I think he'll be listed yeah. at forward. And the league uh, loves I mean, to put. Giannis is one of those spots, right? And yeah. then who's the other one? I mean, are they going to screw it again and put count Bam as a forward when he never plays forward just so we can be on there? Maybe. But um, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. I mean. I, I I mean I was putting Mobley on my defensive player of the year like fake ballots before he got hurt like that's you know I wasn't putting him first but he was he was in that like in that kind of part of the conversation and with a little bit of step forward I think the Cavs are also going to have a great defense who gets the credit for that is going to be a question I kind of want to pick a piston center even though I don't necessarily have confidence in any of them individually just because there's going to be an opportunity here you have guys with talent with Noel and with Stewart and with Jalen Duran somebody can step into it. But I'm not sure that's necessarily going to be a 22-23 thing or maybe more of more of an eventual situation. I thought about picking, you know, like there's going to be some toolsy forward on the Pacers that'll probably do something. I've been a Neesmith believer before. I'm not there right now. Kendall Brown maybe could do it, but just because the opportunity is going to be there. But so the other guy I want to talk about, Ben Rathburn had a wonderful summer league, is Duarte. I mean, Duarte can shoot the crap out of the ball. He can do a little bit with the with his handle. And so like as a complimentary ball handler. And if the idea behind this Pacers team in the in the immediate is lots of spacing, lots of offense, very little defense, he could put up some numbers. Yeah, he's a solid player, had a nice rookie year. Um, for sure, he could he could uh, grow. He's also somebody who came in the league much older, um, and so you would think the, the upside isn't quite as high. Is there a chance this is Giannis's best permanent season? I know he can never, like, there's no way for him to be a breakout guy, but is there, like, we haven't talked about him enough just because he's such an established commodity. I mean, like, I'm not saying, like, that he'll win MVP because the Bucks could be, I think they're going to prioritize different stuff and everything like that, but I think he's going to be monstrous again this year. Yeah, it could be. I mean, he's he's always excellent. If he leads them to a championship, we could be talking about him solidly in the top twenty players of all time. So, yeah, I'm already I'm already there. We could have a conversation about top ten, top fifteen, like top twenty, easy. All right, so you're talking more like wow. most talented rather than like career achievements. Uh, somewhere in between. It's always tough with the current player. Uh, you project out a little bit, but I mean, he's he's um what well, he, he's won MVPs. He's led a team to a championship. Like really put his team on a back on his back to lead them to a championship. Uh, yeah, top ten probably not. Uh, top fifteen, yeah. Uh, top twenty, I'm definitely already there. Okay, well that's that's enough for now. Thank you guys so much for taking the time. Thanks for having us. Likewise. Thanks again to Nate Duncan and Dan Feldman for taking the time to come on. You can listen to Nate on Dunk Don and Dunk Don Prime, as well as the Spotify Lives that we do, and of course his great work with John Hollinger, both in podcast form and in Spotify Live form. He and Hollinger do Spotify on Wednesdays. He and I do it on Tuesdays. Typically ours is at 3 Pacific, 6 Eastern, if you want to check that out. And then it gets released a little bit later. I think it's 24 to 48 hours later as a podcast, but only on Spotify. They 
that's the way it works. You can also follow Nate on Twitter if you don't already at Nate Duncan NBA. And you can follow Dan Feldman. I mean, his, his great work and you're going to probably, you know, you can definitely see his work for Dunked on Prime subscribers. And then you, I'm, we'll see, we'll see with hearing more of him as well. I think my instinct is that's going to happen. And of course, if you don't already, you can follow him on Twitter at Dan Feldman NBA, D-A-N-F-E-L-D-M-A-N-N-B-A. Love having him on both of them. And if you want to support this show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe, download every episode, honestly, whatever podcast player you use, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, really wherever. Really do appreciate that. Episodes are going to come in at weird times, so that helps you find it and make sure that keeps our you know downloads and all that stuff up. And you can also help other people find the show. That's leaving a rating and review in the podcast player of your choice. That's social media, really wherever you want to do it. I really do appreciate all of that. Then the single biggest way for this show and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors. And for us, that is Athletic Greens. You can go to athleticgreens.com slash realgm and you get some great benefits for doing so. I talked about that, of course, during the episode. And you can also check out betonline.ag and use that CLNS50 promo code for a 50% welcome bonus and tells them you came from us, which we appreciate. Of course, you can also check out my other work. As I mentioned, Spotify with Nate is still going strong. We're going to take one one week off, maybe a little bit more depending on my travel, but you know, I'm making it work and it's it's been fun and I love talking, talking to you guys and it keeps me a little bit more tethered into the world of basketball than I am right now, than I am sometimes, you know, ostensibly being on vacation. Probably going to do some written work at The Athletic. I'm in the process of debating whether I want to do a thing on Poison Pill and R.J. Barrett. It's kind of whether things move quickly enough that such a piece would be invalidated too quickly that it's not worth my time. I'm you, I'm figuring that out. You can check out my Twitter feed if you want to see what actually happens there. And if you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is a promise. I'll try to reply if I can. And that's all for now. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.